Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Ladies and gentlemen, Assalamu alaikum and welcome to episode 6 of The Scheme of Things. This is Zaki Khalid. And this is Talha Ibrahim. Talha, uh, it's good to see you after not a long while. And uh, that's because as uh, you are aware and the audience doesn't know, I had a fantastic one week of much needed excursion to the northern areas. I was fortunate enough uh, with my family to visit uh, Chilas, Hunza and these beautiful places in Gilgit, Baltistan. So for anyone who is wondering now, obviously due to the third wave, it's not recommended and I wouldn't personally recommend that this is the time to go. But uh, when things uh, ease down and there are proper uh, facilities in place, then this is a must visit place. It is uh, a beautiful place to visit and one of the hidden beauties of Pakistan and I was really very fortunate to visit it. I had a fantastic time over there and some of my tweets have also shown that uh, I experienced some uh, extraordinary incidents over there. There are cherry trees and snow-capped mountains, peaks and uh, a fabulous history of the people of the area. The people of Hunza and Gilgit Baltistan are a very harmonious and tolerant and peace-loving people, very courteous. And I'm really looking forward to go there again, inshallah. And so what has been going on at your end, Talha? Okay, so what has been going on at my end? Um, uh, I just uh, recently uh, procured this book, The Adventures of Amir Hamza. Popular oh my God. Dastane Amir Hamza. Translated Is by... Is that the Amro Yar thing? Yes, Amro Yar thing. Uh, uh in fact uh, the, the, the uh, I, I i i was surprised actually i, I thought that uh, musharraf uh, musharraf ali faruqi sahab the translator of this book uh, uh worked on it uh, this, i i was thinking I, I thought that this got published uh, perhaps a year or two back but uh, I, after going through uh, the prologue i realized uh, I realized that this book got published uh, in 2012. So Faruqi Sahib has done a wonderful job, uh, and I'm, I'm I feel so unfortunate. In fact, this book got published in 2007. That is where that is uh, the date that has been given uh, beneath the introduction that was written by Faruqi Sahib. So uh, I'm so. Uh, uh, I'm so unfortunate that I have been I got to read this after such a long time and this was on my reading list since the last uh, perhaps uh, since the last 15 years or so and um, uh, Faruqi Saab spent some I, I was reading the introduction he spent some uh, around seven eight good years translating uh, this work that was originally done by Gabriel Laknavi and Abdullah Bilgrami back into the 19th century so uh, uh, very good uh, very good book uh, uh, and the uh, the job that has been done on translation uh, tremendously done uh, i think uh, uh, perhaps it couldn't have you been have to tell better. me how the english is because i've heard it's very impeccable and uh, uh, and uh, just to let you know, okay, how do I know of this? I have some familiarity with Amir Dastane, Amir Hamza. I think it was 2013 or 14 in Lahore. And uh, uh, I used to work someplace else. And uh, my boss, she forced me to attend this Dastan by some narrators from India. I think they were relatives. I, I was told that they are relatives, Musharraf Ali Farooq. 
Okay, sir. And there were these two gentlemen from uh, India, and they came and they sat down and they recited the Dastan of Amir Hamza and Umar Ayyar's tales. It was a fabulous experience. But you have to tell me how it is in English because I'm just wondering if the charm will still be there. I think uh, I think Faruqi Sahab has managed to uh, uh, retain that uh, charm. That that was if I if I recall read if I I recall reading Amro Yar like uh, around twenty years back. So at that time, the the facet the bewilderment and the fascination that used to uh, uh, come with uh, the reading of the text at that time. Uh, I, I think I, I, I scarcely. Uh, I have read around hundred pages of this book in the last mm-hmm. three, four days, and uh, wow. uh, makes up for a very light reading. Uh, uh, the text is easier to read, and uh, I can understand how onerous it could have been for Faruqi Sahab to uh, keep uh, the. Uh, to like he had to balance it out he could have made it he could have uh, simplified the text to the level that uh, the text would have lost its charm so he has preserved the essence basically yes preserved the essence yes so interesting uh, let's get on you have to share your feedback uh, you have to share your feedback with me once you're done maybe i'll borrow yours So let's move to our first topic, Tala. And uh, what would you like to speak on first today? Okay, so uh, I would like to comment on uh, the meeting that is ongoing between U.S. Secretary of Defense and uh, uh, the Defense Minister of India that happened today. Is a high-profile oh, visit yeah. to India. So uh, I won't be commenting on. Uh, Uh, the uh, the the meetup that uh, uh, Austin had with Doval and Prime Minister Modi, uh, I'm more interested in what transpired uh, between Rajnath and uh, Lloyd. So there are four uh, takeaways uh, of this meeting. Uh, most importantly most significantly uh, i found this statement of rajnath singh very significant when the joint statement that was issued uh, once the meeting concluded uh, rajnath singh talked about uh, enhanced indian cooperation with uh, pacific command central command and african command and you said something that uh, you have been talking about uh, in uh, in the uh, uh, segments that we have done in the past you have talked about how the us centcom is ra- ramping up uh, its effort in this uh, region um, so uh, this was one important takeaway uh, uh, interesting bilateral and multilateral exercises not only with indo pacific command us pacific command but also central command and the african command very interesting um, and uh, they have also talked about uh, the operationalization of foundational uh, agreements the konkasa lemoa and beka uh, so some uh, uh, Conversation has uh, happened 
on the foundational agreements, the, there have been talks about collaboration uh, in defense industries. Just a heads up for uh, the audience who may be unaware, Samran Ali of the Center for International Strategy, CISS, he wrote a very detailed uh, paper on the foundational agreements between US and India for uh, CSER. You can check it out on the website. So indeed, I think they keep on reaffirming th those agreements and uh, and recently they also signed that maritime technical information sharing, which is basically a very fancy word for maritime intelligence and naval intelligence. So just goes to show you, I mean, okay, CENTCOM still makes some sense, but AFRICOM, so obviously you can see that there's a convergence of interests uh, in Africa, strange. So the uh, think about it, the AOR has expanded all the way from uh, Florida to okay. So all the way from Florida, I'm forgetting the port. Uh, I'm forgetting the port. Uh, all the way to the African continent. So think about the AOR, the the breadth and expanse of the the vast expanse. Exactly. I mean, it's unusual that uh, one country, because it's the U.S. that decides uh, what sort of overlapping relationships it wants with countries that fall in different AORs. But this is unusual that it's the other way around that one country which is in one specific AOR, it wants to expand its relationship with the U.S. in multiple combatant commands. That's quite unusual. You, you won't hear Japan, uh, I mean, fine, there is some basic cooperation, but three different combatant commands. Yes, uh, and I, I don't know, perhaps uh, you can, uh, uh, it's more, uh, you have done more research on this, but I don't think that uh, Australia has shown similar uh has uh, shown similar aspirations when it comes to engaging absolutely with... not australia does not have that sort of uh, interest in the western indian ocean yes so in india is the only uh country out of this co uh, india and the united states out of this coalition of four who are uh, who want to expand the partnership in uh, uh in, in these different in these uh, different uh, theaters, so uh, and the fourth uh, fourth key takeaway was joint capacity building in the Indo Pacific. So uh, these were like the key takeaways, and I I thought that uh, the enhanced Indian cooperation with PACOM, CENTCOM, and AFRICOM this point merits uh, 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 merits some uh, discussion at our end. So. Uh, what the, the next uh, the, the, there are some, some certain three other pointers that I want to discuss that I think we need to we need to focus on. Uh, we have to talk about uh, uh, the the sanctions, the Karsa sanctions. Uh, I have been looking at uh, the statements that that are coming out of India. Uh, uh, I've been I haven't been unable to uh, uh, find any such uh, any such uh, any such reports any such media reports in which uh, it has been mentioned that Karsa uh, uh, that some uh, uh, the issue of Karsa has been raised with the Indian counterparts by Lloyd Austin. So uh, again, this is very strange. Um, 
you have uh, uh, i recently shared two pieces on my wall uh, one written by temur fath khan uh, of iwsi uh, he talked about the s400 and uh, missile how, defense system yes s400 missile defense system and how uh, whether it would uh, uh, he, when we when he, when he mentioned about s400 systems he talked about how turkey uh, uh did a 2.5 billion dollars deal with russia and uh, katsa was uh, applied on it but uh, uh india despite having uh, uh, uh having dealt with russia on uh, the s400 system and uh, even the even uh, the deal amounts to 5 billion twice the amount of what was done by turkey Uh, U.S. U.S. has been there is this certain reluctance that you can see at the part of the U.S. administration to uh, to levy the sanctions that it has been applying elsewhere. So, uh, Dean. So, do you know the meaning of uh, the, the slang term which you use? What is the meaning of uh, to suck up to someone? I mean. what you have this country in south asia it wants to purchase these systems against america's own strategic adversary which is russia and then earlier during the obama era uh, i think india was given special exemption to uh, purchase oil from iran despite the sanctions so uh, these so you know this uh, uh, great power in the world it it's uh, so hell bent on trying to appease india and they just just to show you that uh keeping all that rhetorical bullshit aside it's at the end it's all about trying to sh- uh posit india as uh, a regional uh, pivot for manage as a regional watchdog absolutely so when you talk about the credibility of uh, united states as 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 uh, as a leading power in the international system the credibility has gone down the drain um you cannot you are like uh, i we i talked about temur fath khan there was another article i shared of uh, samran ali uh, of cisss uh, again written for the cscr website so samran has talked about how the, the, the punch line of that article was that north korea's icbms are as bad as india's so U, us has been uh, supporting uh, india in uh, 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 in in augmenting its missile capability so india has been uh, with the assistance with the with the support with the direct support of us and we call it direct i am calling it direct support because in us has, has done these foundational agreements with uh, india bika and all other things you got uh, uh, so so uh, us has been ramping up india's missile capability so north korea's icbms are as bad as india's so absolutely us as 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 a as a as a as, as one of the leading powers of the international system where is that credibility so uh, and we, we are talking about katsa so uh, you see the uh, the articles that are being written by people sitting in washington uh, baldway analyst and people sitting in uh, delhi the analysts sitting in delhi they have all been uh, trying to somehow i i can sense that there was this uh, 
blackmailing aspect that was being incorporated uh, in the discourse that has recently come out. So there was this, there is this uh, common strand of argument that goes like, uh, okay, so uh, the partnership will be threatened. The partnership will be threatened if uh, US applies cards on India. So this is like going on again and again and again, and somehow the signaling is being done. I think some uh, people like our uh, our inimitable Mr. Brahma Chilani sending a very fierce message that uh, if uh, you impose cards and all, then ultimately the discreet message which they try to give is that then how will you be able to contain China? And but publicly they have to deny that that's what's going on. Exactly. See, you see the analysis that has been written by Abhijit here uh, Mitra uh, on uh, News 18. Uh, yes. Research analysis. So he has he has like gone on this uh, on this this harangue. Okay, so the Trump was Trump was um, Trump was better, but the uh, Trump the Republicans were better because they used to uh, talk on the tangibles, but the Democrats are fixated. They have like the the ideological worldview of the Democrats is inflexible. So somehow, and then he somehow related it to the levying of sanctions, uh, Karsa sanctions. So they are like trying to give this impression. Okay, be be uh, don't make it a card. Don't make Karsa talking point uh, in this uh, uh, in this visit of Lloyd or Austin. Uh, so there shouldn't be any conversation regarding Katsa. Talk about other things. Don't uh, bring Katsa in between. <laughs> so that is one thing. Another most important thing, you have these, uh, this uh, letter that I shared with you. Um, Indeed. Uh, Senator, uh, I think Robert Menendez or... Robert Menendez raised in House Foreign Affairs Committee about in India's human rights uh, credentials and uh, erosion of democracy. Poor so, credentials. Very strong wording use of, used in it. Very strong, very strong wording used. So, and despite the fact that that language was nowhere to be seen, even a brief indirect suggestion to word it in the joint communique issued by both Washington and New Delhi, you don't find any of that acknowledgement at all. I mean, obviously, if it was the case of Pakistan, that would have made in, uh, the opening sentence. Absolutely, absolutely. Although uh, there have been some news reports, uh, one published by NTTV, they, they said that uh, uh, Lloyd Austin talked about and had this discussion in, done in private, but uh, uh, there was no public acknowledgement of this. Uh, so you see, it all goes down to the, Mr. Jay Shankar, and uh, I think uh, in. Uh, a few pre previous episodes of uh, the scheme of things I mentioned that uh, in fact in one of my papers I mentioned that how he is actually the guy who is you can consider him alongside uh, Shinzo Abe to be the brains behind the whole Indo-Pacific concept that whole terminology and phenomenon because when he was posted uh, to Tokyo 96 onward then Washington and all that he was the guy who was responsible for bringing that Japanese vision into Washington from into Obama era and then into the Trump era and now he's the guy who's the linchpin of all of this. So when he's over there, you, you can't expect the, the, uh, the godfather over there to have any sort of tolerance. I mean, just consider the fact that um, I'm, this is going to be a bit off topic, but uh, you remember Mr. Jay Shankar's recent remark as a full-blown bhakt 
in which he said that uh, we don't want any outsiders to tell us uh, what's wrong with our country. So obviously, you don't want uh, Lloyd Austin or the Pentagon to tell India that their human rights record is uh, not satisfactory. And obviously, that didn't mention Kashmir. That's interesting because if it was Kashmir, you could say, okay, well, they have some political considerations. It was a general human rights abuse record, but still, I mean, the facts speak for themselves. The facts speak for themselves. And uh, in fact, we should uh, dedicate uh, and some other episode of this game to the Indo-Pacific. Uh, I think I would want I would want to discuss this uh, amazing article that has been written by Van Jackson, uh, Foreign Affairs, on the idea of Indo-Pacific, the, the Indo-Pacific construct. So we should we should dissect it. We should dedicate a session for that. So the the last and the most important point of this. Uh, uh, Lloyd Austin uh, uh, topic. Topic, yes. So the last and most important point is uh, uh, one of the talking points of Austin that uh, uh, talked about the U.S.-India major defense partnership and advancing cooperation between our countries for free, prosperous, and open Indo-Pacific and Western Indian Ocean region. Oh, interesting. So, uh, the we have been seeing this the Biden administration mantra of partnership for Indo-Pacific region and quote unquote beyond. So, this beyond thing is not to be taken lightly. Uh, and in fact, uh, I'm trying to recall. In fact, Lara Seligman wrote this uh, article. Uh, yes, Politico. Uh, for the Politico. And she mentioned that uh, there is this concern uh, under the domain. She talked about the concern regarding Chinese economic investment across the region, including building a strategic quote in Gwadar. So Gawadar has propped up as, as a talking point between the Indian and between the Indian and United States uh, uh, officials. Uh, so this is something that should be of major concern to us. And why I, I am trying to understand why the why the United States is construing Gawadar as, as as a as a as a strategic port. So this is something that uh, uh, perhaps uh, we uh, should uh, some other time we should uh, have a discussion on it. I think uh, one of my earliest uh, perspective papers for CSCR titled Indo-US Militarization of Western Indian Ocean. I mentioned uh, I covered this aspect that uh, it basically started with that whole National Defense Authorization Act of 2020, Absolutely. in which they, the Congress they tried to uh, they actually approved expanding the scope of uh, Western Indian Ocean uh, the Indian Ocean. So they actually the whole Indo-Pacific concept it touched the shores of uh, California basically. So mm -hmm. when you look in terms of that, the nomenclature change and then, you know, it's surprising Talha that these are some of the things which I don't understand because uh, politics, especially US politics is not my forte, but, you know, just commenting as a layman on this particular aspect. Uh, 
that surprising continuity in policy from the Trump regime and to to the Democrats and Biden. I mean, you just really wonder who are the people behind the shadows who are so uh, potent enough to keep those policies going. And Absolutely. actually, you see day by day those things. Uh, you you know now it's just like you know whether it is Trump, it is Obama, it is Biden. It doesn't matter. The fact that the trajectory of Indo-U.S. relations, strategic relations in uh, India's so-called backyard, keeps on escalating and improving day by day, that just raises more alarm bells. Yes, definitely. Shubh, uh, this was one thing, uh, and you were you very rightly you rightly pointed out this uh, National Defence Authorisation Act and the that was. Uh, signed during the trump administration if i can indeed uh, and that was that was centered around western indian ocean they specifically yeah, focused on that portion but uh, you see that uh, the uh, biden administration has been more uh, has been more vocal about it and they have gone to like this this I, if i can recall there was this this statement that came out at at some time uh, uh during the end of trump trump administration some statement that was made uh uh indo pacific and beyond but i i if i can recall in the last uh 2 3 months i have seen it coming again and again uh since biden has uh, uh has been uh, shown in as a us president so we have seen this and beyond and beyond and beyond coming and coming so uh this is something very important so now uh this uh, my side of uh, the first topic has concluded zaki what about you well uh, since we are talking on the the so called indo pacific so keeping that uh, quote unquote nomenclature into perspective uh, i have chosen one particular topic because it is too broad and uh, it will take some time and i just wanted to focus on that and multiple facets of it it pertains to this region and uh, you must have heard that uh, in this month earlier this month the uk government released the integrated review of security defense development and foreign policy so it's a very comprehensive document which was issued by the uk strategic command which is like the, the overall strategic uh, planning framework for all the joint forces and development agencies and the foreign commonwealth development office so before we even go into it i think it's very interesting that if you can see how i'll go delve into it a bit later how france and germany have their own sector specific policies on commerce and defense for the indo pacific but the uk is trying to look at this whole region from a wholly integrated perspective and it's not just about the indo pacific the document is global by scope it covers multiple regions but obviously just for the sake of relevance i will only be discussing and um, commenting upon aspects which have some sort of interest or concern to pakistan so i'll begin with the fact that uh, uh, they've basically tried to summarize in the executive summary they've tried to present four overarching objectives of issuing this policy document and mind you it has been signed by uh, prime minister boris johnson so this is uh, this is uh, in the period of brexit where the uk wants to be stand alone independent of the eu and try to assert itself as a global power and the, the document mentions that 2021 is going to be the year of 
in which Britain is going to lead the world in terms of development, science and technology, etc. So they've categorically said that the UK wants to lead the world. Their focus, however, is not as much on defense or cyber or etc. It, it's the crux of it is that the UK has said that we want to lead the world in science and technology because the UK believes that science and technology is the capability upon which the UK can build its global soft power and its prestige and everything. So it's quite interesting that the UK as com uh, compared to the US has been able to uh, boil down its essentials and the basis of its uh, power projection into science and technology. And they've made it very clear that um, they don't want uh, any sort of confrontation with anyone and they want to have a collaborative approach. So the four overarching objectives are sustaining strategic advantage through science and technology. Obviously, that is the crux of their uh, policy making. The second is that uh, shaping the open international order of the future. So they're not saying that we want to make the order or we want to impose the order or we want to reinforce the order. They say we want to shape it. So obviously shaping is basically a collaborative approach. And uh, for uh, more expert students of IR as yourself, you can see that multilateralism has a lot of role to play in that. Yeah, the third great. point is strengthening security and defense at home and overseas. So this is an, an usual talking point. And the fourth is building resilience at home and overseas. And frankly, um, I'm quite averse to the uh, overuse of this term resilience. It just makes me sick now. But anyways, uh, coming to the foreword by uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And uh, if uh, some of the subscribers to this channel have been following, I published uh, a video in the beginning of January 2021 in which I uh, presented clips of some of the important geostrategic issues for Pakistan in 2021. And in one of them, I mentioned that uh, the UK's deployment of uh, aircraft carrier HMS Queen Elizabeth is going to be an important development in the region. And this is what Prime Minister Johnson says. He says that in 2021, uh, the HMS Queen Elizabeth, one of the two largest warships, will lead a British and allied task group on the UK's most ambitious global deployment for two decades. Mind you, this is two decades of deployment. Just imagine the sort of expenses and the logistics involved to sustain that power projection purpose. Visiting the Mediterranean, the Middle East and the Indo-Pacific. So, I think Tala, we have talked on in multiple previous episodes that ultimately you can see that the whole consolidation of Atlantic through Mediterranean with Indian Ocean and Pacific, the UK is basically headed in the same direction. So the US has not acknowledged that it is concerned about Mediterranean and Africa, but the UK has made it very clear that they want to start with the Mediterranean and from the Atlantic side, they want to end up in the Pacific. So two decades of deployment, is it going to be a one go? Is it going to be rotational? Is it going to be in phases? That's still to be seen. And what they say is that by 2030, we, that is the UK, will be deeply engaged in the Indo-Pacific as the European partner with the broadest, most integrated presence in support of mutually beneficial trade. We will be active in Africa, in particular East Africa and with important partners such as Nigeria. So there you have it that uh, when we talk about uh, Indo-Pacific, so in particular, the sub-region which is going to have the most importance for them as far as trade is concerned, we're talking about the UK obviously, is East Africa. 
Now, this is quite interesting because what the US's vision and Japan's vision and India's vision, whatever is, their focus is on the Bay of Bengal side, the Strait of Malacca and everything. But the UK has made it clear that it, uh, its, its strategic planning is in terms of its trade and economic interests. And obviously, it, in that sense, it isn't illogical for the UK to focus on Africa. And indeed, uh, the bulk of um, developmental assistance by the UK has been focused on Africa quite uh, intensely over the past few years. And now this is uh, next, and these are the, what I'm stating over here are the salients in my comments. So the next salient point which I picked up, I think you'll find this very interesting and I want your thoughts on it. It says that the UK will shift away from post-Cold War rules-based international system to a fragmented order characterized by intense competition. I just want you to comment on it. So you see, the, basically they're saying that that rules-based international order, isn't that the rhetoric which has been espoused by the US even today that they talk about they want to bring China into the so-called rules-based international order. But here the UK is saying that we don't want to continue with that narrative anymore. We believe in adaptation and adjusting ourselves in this fragmented order characterized by quote-unquote intense competition. That's quite interesting. Absolutely. Uh, uh, in fact, uh... Ah, that that is a very uh, that that is a pragmatic way of uh, dealing with world politics, and uh, if you if you see the the politics, I talked about the credibility of U.S. as a uh, as a uh, leading power in the international system. So uh, th that credibility has uh, has been badly affected. Uh, precisely because of uh, the 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 double speak, you are saying something, you are doing another thing. So, uh, if the the wording that has been used in this uh, document, uh, it shows pragmatism at the part of uh, uh, the United Kingdom. At least they they are clear eyed about uh, how they want to engage with the world, and they mm -hmm. don't. They, and they don't want to keep their uh, their ally, uh, their key allies uh, in doubt about their intentions. And it's a, it just goes to show you and uh, that uh, instead of trying to be unnecessarily coercive in nature and trying to uh, intimidate countries in the region through policy documentation, they're actually being very very clear and they're saying, hey, "Look, we understand this is a fragmented world." The choice of the word fragmented is very interesting. It just goes to show you that, you know, that is actually a discrete acknowledgement that uh, London considers the world not to be uh, bipolar or unipolar. They, they are openly accepting multipolarity in the world. And obviously, uh, throughout the document, I'm not going to mention it. I think I'll mention one instance, but they've repeatedly stressed the importance of multilateralism. And that's what that is the buzzword they have used throughout this document. And so one of the next most important takeaways from this document is that security of the Euro-Atlantic region will be the bulk of the UK security focus. So you might have a document, it might mention the Indo-Pacific, they might have an interest in the long term, midterm, whatever, but ultimately it jots down to I think one of the most important and honest admissions on behalf of a great power that the UK is saying, okay, despite our interest, our trade and economics, 
the euro atlantic will remain our primary zone of interest i have not seen this sort of honest admission elsewhere uh indeed but the thing is i i, I just realized i just recalled i don't know uh, i'm forgetting the name of uh, the commentator uh, some person who writes on uh, uh, uk security posture so he's shashank joshi and i don't know perhaps uh, i i may have uh, read shashank joshi but someone wrote uh, on twitter and i'm even forgetting the exact comment but the crux was that uh, this the, the the crux was that too much inordinate uh, uh, there, there is this uh, I, I i'm trying to for the uh, for the lack of uh, better phrasing of what is going on in my mind but uh, it was uh, that to uh, the the, fo- the there the, it is an undue focus that uh, that is being given to the atlantic at this at this time and it was like you could deploy there was this they, they talked about that you can deploy I, i think it was like you can deploy just one warship or xyz and all you won't there won't be any uh, sort of uh, uh, you won't feel the need uh, to uh, uh this it the, the the region security won't get compromised so there was this uh, uh urging at the part of on, on the part of the commentator that uk needs to shift shift its focus elsewhere not on the euro atlantic because that is not needed but the, that's ultimately because of competing interests ultimately when we you see that you just, you know you use the word pragmatic it's so interesting pakistan look it it says very clearly our primary area of focus is the north arabian sea we are done finished they are not interested in the long term vision so the uk ultimately i think it's so pragmatic they're saying okay fine we have interests all over the world africa indian ocean blah 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 but ultimately for them you see um, because that's how this document is not going to be one of many if they have issued this now they're going to actually operationalize it among the uh, joint services and the foreign uh, common development office etc etc fcdo so when they want to operationalize it they they, are sh- they want to make sure that their public and their um, expenses are focused on the area which matters most and that is self defense to the immediate periphery which is in the euro atlantic but that raises the questions that why the euro atlantic i mean what is over there are there threats from west africa because there is not that much of a terrorism specter in west africa as compared to central and east africa when we talk about you know the militant groups and other cartels going over there but it just goes to show you that while the world is focused elsewhere and uk is obviously following them they still want to be very assured and self confident that euro atlantic is going to be our primary focus area but they also mention that with moving on they mention that when they talk about deeper engagement quote and quote with the indo pacific so called they say that they recognize the importance of powers in the regions quote and quote such as china india and japan unquote very interesting so they have not just mentioned japan or india they have mentioned china as well so the uk recognizes that china india and japan are three of the important powers in the region 
and that sort of balancing approach in trying to acknowledge that china whether you like it or not is also a power and a stakeholder in the region it is vastly different from the sort of language which you find in so i for example policy documents by the us uh, or the force posture statements by indo pacific command commander who says that china is a malign actor or it's a revisionist power or an assertive china or an increasingly bold china so they've placed china and india and japan two quad powers and china in the same plate and they're saying ki look they are all powers in the region we recognize them and uh, and they add that uh, the uk would like as far as multilateralism is concerned now so this is interesting and this is i think a common strain between french german visions for the indo pacific and the uk i'll go into more of that later the uk says that it does not want to set up or get into the establishment very clear that in the region they want to work with two bodies namely asean which is already there so that asean centrality argument and the next is very interestingly the cptpp and uh, 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 if you don't know comprehensive progressive trans pacific partnership uh, just for the audience uh, the cptpp is a trade agreement that was initiated in december 2018 between the following countries australia brunei canada chile japan malaysia mexico new zealand peru singapore and vietnam the uk isn't even a part of it but they want to be part of asean and work together with cptpp so what they are saying is that that uh, these two consortiums which are basically focused on western pacific and Indi eastern indian ocean they want to work with them and one very other interesting thing which i did not find is that they did not mention the indian ocean rim association now this is very interesting tala because the german and french visions mention aora working with aora the uk has a very distinct approach because i don't i may maybe interpreting it wrongly but uh, as far as my perception is concerned they are not that interested in a specific segment of the indian ocean they want to take a, a collaborative and comprehensive approach mm. so now we come to the next point and they say and this i think you'll find this point very interesting the language quote we must be prepared to compete with others and to and new ways to cooperate through creative diplomacy and multilateralism unquote so two you were have used creative diplomacy multilateralism there is no mention of any coercion trying to uh, impose the international order or they are trying to uh, assert that there is going to be a confrontation of any kind even through any sort of discrete they are very open they say we must be prepared to compete with others so that acknowledgement that there is a level playing field and okay fine china is there we want to compete even i mean that also sends a message to russia as well you want to come in the region mediterranean pacific whatever we are ready to compete so they they are in a competition mode they are not in a confrontation mode very different from their other transatlantic partners mm. but they make this very uh, uh, important point as far as the euro atlantic security is concerned <coughs> that nato will remain the foundation of collective security in euro atlantic so while they are out of the eu for whatever reasons best con considered to them as far as collective security is concerned they don't want to go it alone they want to have a shared responsibility with other members of nato which obviously includes turkey and the other european nations so i think that's quite interesting that uh, uh, on that front the uk is not going it alone 
it uh, just wanted to get out of the uh, politics and the economics of european union but on the security front perhaps because of lack of resources and a long term vision they know that they are not able to go it on their own and they will have to rely on a nato centric approach uh, to the region in the euro atlantic now coming to the important part about china what does the document about uk say on china it says quote we will do more to adapt please focus on the word adapt we will do more to adapt to china's growing impact on many aspects of our lives as it becomes more powerful in the world we will continue to pursue a positive trade and investment relationship with china while ensuring our national security and values are protected unquote so you have you see over there the uk is saying we would like to adapt to the uh, the chinese rise and they acknowledge and they actually project that china is going to continue being a powerful country in the regions <coughs> beyond and they want to pursue a positive trade and investment relationship so whatever conflicts they might have with the political or strategic spectrum with china they want to ensure that trade could be a way to break the ice on multiple occasions and lead to a positive outcomes in whatever confrontations they might have and they go on to say the indo pacific will be of increasing political and economic importance with multiple regional powers carrying significant weight and influence both alone and together obviously this includes india competition it doesn't mention but i'm just assuming competition will play out there in regional militarization this is very important now you can take western indian ocean into this competition will play out there in regional militarization maritime tensions and a contest over the rules and norms linked to trade and technology and then they say this is uh, interesting because this directly mentions pakistan quote we have close historical links with pakistan and will continue to develop a strong modern relationship focused on security stability and prosperity unquote so i think it's very interesting that as far as the other major powers are concerned we've seen the uh, indo pacific uh, visions and documents of us france germany even um, there are some other countries japan and we've seen korea and uh, australia but uk is the only country which has it has given special attention and an increased focus to india but it has also specifically and distinctly mentioned its association to pakistan which i think is quite interesting because pakistan has since long been trying to uh, if not uh, seek equivalence but it is trying to say that we want to be acknowledged as a separate entity in this part of the world we don't want to be hyphenated or subsumed under the india bracket or the afghan bracket so the fact that they've mentioned a distinct uh, layout of their plan for with pakistan that that's uh, to their credit and it's good for us and they say this is important because i didn't know this before i've read it in the document and then i looked it up it's true so the uk has actually appointed a foreign and commonwealth development office fcdo director general for the indo pacific in 2020 i didn't know this but apparently they have who concurrently serves as an ambassador to asean in 2019 so there are two two hats he's wearing the ambassador to asean is also responsible for uh, development and politics of the uk in, in the indo pacific region now that's a huge 
area of responsibility when you're talking about one man holding all the reins. And um, they've mentioned that since 2018, India, uh, the UK has appointed trade commissioners in Singapore, Mumbai, and Shanghai. So as far as trade is concerned, you can see that the UK has not appointed any significant sort of an attache in Pakistan, apart from the usual economic counselors, etc. But um, in the larger scheme of things, they are focused on India and the East. Their focus is not as much on the Western side. I mean, even beyond Pakistan in the Gulf or because obviously in the Indo-Pacific concept, the Gulf is also a part of the Indo-Pacific. East Africa is also a part, but they're focused more on the Eastern side of the Indian Ocean, which is, I think, quite interesting. And with that, I conclude the UK portion. And now I'd just like to shed light on uh, some important snippets of uh, two other countries, their Indo-Pacific visions. And the reason I'm mentioning them is that you can just have an idea of how they compare to the UK. I deliberately chose two countries from Europe uh, to have that semblance and the fair semblance and did not mention the US because we have studied the US uh, many times. France and Germany because they are these two Euro-Atlantic powers which have a, a history of colonialism and uh, Im strategic importance in the region. And um, so I begin with the Germany's document, which was issued in September 20, September 2020. It is called Light Linean Zoom Indo-Pacific, which is the policy guidelines for the Indo-Pacific. And there are three important takeaways as far as I am concerned. The first one is that the German federal government supports inclusive regional cooperation initiatives. And the important thing they have mentioned is, quote, it does not consider containment and decoupling strategies to be conducive, unquote. Very interesting. So they've mentioned that that policy of containment don't bring us into it. We are beyond that. So that is the sort of similarity which I noticed in the UK in which it is trying to keep itself away from such controversial terminologies. And it says the ASEAN centric security architecture offers a valuable framework. Now the difference is obviously that Germany has limited itself to ASEAN while the UK is going to CPTTP as well. Mm. Next, the German document says that uh, we want to seek observer status at the ASEAN Defense Minister's minist uh, Ministerial Plus and become a dialogue partner of Pacific Islands Forum, expand cooperation with IORA in business and maritime safety. So apart from the usual focus on the Pacific element, as far as the Indian Ocean is concerned, they want to focus on cooperation with, they want to become an um, extended partner of IORA. This is not uh, in the UK policy. So that cooperation with IORA is interesting and uh, just goes to show you that uh, there, there are some European countries which want to uh, have their uh, say in this part of the world as far as maritime uh, safety and cooperation is concerned. And they also mentioned that they want to promote, quote unquote, intensive exchange with BIMSTEC, the Bay of Bengal initiative, which uh, you are well aware with about uh, technical cooperation and uh, uh, other uh, ventures. So that cooperation with BIMSTEC, now BIMSTEC, as we all know, is a Bangladesh and India powered venture in the Bay of Bengal. 
and from <clears throat> what i have been able to gather if we um, keep uh, this german vision into perspective germany's interest is as much in western indian ocean as it is on the eastern indian ocean side so while they want to uh, expand cooperation with iora and bimstech the germans also mentioned that we want to support sark uh, but they acknowledge that uh, sark is not the sort of uh, once powerful forum that is once was and it's interesting this mention of sark it just goes to show you that the germans still believe that there is an opportunity for a south asia led regional order to put its house in order and try to maintain some semblance of political stability in the region and by support obviously they mean that they might be open to any sort of rapprochement between islamabad and delhi so and finally i am coming to the document of france which is which issued its defense strategy for the indo pacific in 2019 so this came a year before um, germany and its salient points include uh, all of these are extracts <clears throat> the enduring conflict between india and pakistan now extends into the naval domain now this is interesting quote in the meantime the current rapprochement between islamabad and beijing makes the regional security equation more complex unquote so the french are basically saying can we understand that there is an uh, ongoing issue between india and pakistan and they have this volatile relationship but that relationship between islamabad and beijing that makes things more complex my question is that when you uh, put islamabad you bring china into that whole equation why don't you mention about the complexities caused by india's interference in the neighborhood and obviously this is a sarcastic question because we all know that france has a deep rooted strategic ties with india based primarily on the agreement involving rafales and other such things they're selling their armament over there and india if you check the document which i have just quoted they have appendices of uh, maps infographics in that document and they have mentioned very clearly that india is the only country in the entire indian ocean where uh, france has an armaments officer apart from a tip, um, typical military attache so that is a sort of special significant relationship which they have with india and the next point is port be it in the indian ocean in asia or in the pacific the fragility of regional security architectures feeds uncertainty in a region fraught with heterogeneous political systems and ambitions such dynamics contribute to the erosion of multilateralism unquote so what they are saying is they believe that regional security architectures are feeding uncertainty i am just i i have to ask you this what do you think they could be implying toward what sort of regional security are talking about sark perhaps Uh, I don't know. Uh, perhaps uh, I would have to think about it. But the, I mean, they use the word feeds uncertainty. I mean, they they say that the regional countries are unable to maintain that sort of uh, assertive approach toward conflict resolution in the region, and that is why France has to pay attention to this. That's quite arrogant. And. um and they they believe that because of this supposed uh, matter um 
multilateralism is being eroded which is quite strange because in the uk document they say that they want to cooperate with the existing architectures etc etc and that they just want to play a facilitative role so france has a totally very myopic view of the entire indian ocean region the heterogeneity is being unwelcomed by france <laughs> absolutely it's, it's a very strange thing uh, in fact uh, heterogeneity being uh, uh, being a part of being a part of supposed uh, so, being a part of uh, the the west uh, where supposedly you talk about enlightenment and uh, free values and all uh, france is rubbishing uh, uh, heterogeneity and france folk france believe that the heterogeneity is uh, it, it's and again now uh, i think I, i would want to comment on what you said earlier i was thinking about it they think that heterogeneity is not con- conducive to a multilateral spirit yes they say it is responsible for eroding multilateralism <laughs> Uh, yes you are right the choice of wording is very erroneous and uh, so coming to the next um, coming to the next point they say that strategic rivalries in the indian ocean could be exported to africa so you see th- i think this is the only european country which is straight away coming to the point <laughs> that uh, africa is going to suffer and we all know the francophonie and all the history of france's colonies in africa and we still know that france has tremendous uh, energy and uh, uh, security interests in the african continent they've always considered it as part of their backyard and they, they still uh, support some of the insurrectionist groups over there so you just wonder that ultimately their concern which is natural you see why is everybody so interested in the western indian ocean obviously because of africa so here france is saying that we are concerned that strategic rivalries from the ocean could be exported to africa quote in a sense distant actors like european countries are not immune to the potential effect of any crisis happening in the region unquote so basically that eurocentric approach they are saying that we as europe have dangers that our backyard in africa is going to be destabilized because of these actors or destabilizing factors in the indian ocean which could spill over into the continent so ultimately that it, it is that eurocentric approach to things so it's not that they are trying to you know f- focus on their own interests beyond their area of concern they it they have actually tried to link it to their own domestic security interests this obviously implies the issue of migration of um, uh, increased radicalization and terrorism etc and so they are concerned that uh, you you see it's interesting how the indian ocean has been intertwined with france's uh, primary security periphery in, uh, in the european uh, continent so where is the indian ocean and where is europe but here they are saying that africa could serve as a conduit to bring the conflict from that part of the world Two hour shorts, very interesting, but it personally doesn't make sense. And now coming to an important point. Yes, yes, Allah. 
No, that that begs the that begs the question. The that why is France? Then if if they are uh, if they are linking the destabilization the the, the destabilization stabilization that could uh, uh, permeate all the way from Asia to Africa to the and you they are using it as a reason to link themselves with the Indo Pacific uh, with the in larger Indo Pacific region. It's it's a very uh, strange way of uh, uh, justifying that uh, justifying yourself as a as a relevant actor in the Indo Pacific. It's a very strange way. It is like they are uh, somehow they are like they, they are contorting themselves just to just to justify the relevance. Uh, in being a part of, uh, in be, be being a, in uh, keeping them, making themselves uh, relevant here. Relevant. I mean, just look in the UK. In the UK document, they made it very clear that look, we have trade interests in Africa and East Africa, etc. So we have our concerns over there. And interestingly, you know, France could have mentioned that they have islands in East Africa, the France Reunion Island. They could have mentioned yes. that, but they are citing yes. threats from yes. Indian yes. Ocean. Yes. Absolutely, I was coming to that point. They would have mentioned that, but they are now linking it that the destability <laughs> will spill over to Africa, and Africa is in our periphery, and uh, it's, it it concerns us. So that this is just a strange way of putting things, um, making yourself feel more welcome in the region. And so the next point is very interesting, and this is the, the highlight of the uh, as far as uh, the China is concerned. They say, "Quote." China is, with the implementation of its Belt and Road Initiative, one of the driving forces behind contraction of the geostrategic space and China will probably increase its military footprint in Indian Ocean in the medium term." Unquote. So how is just China responsible for contraction in the geostrategic space? I fail to understand that how is that linked to, I mean, again, why are they focusing on China's so-called uh, aggressive role in the Western Indian Ocean? Aren't they concerned about some other countries as well? <laughs> I mean, obviously, China is not just sitting over there and it just uh, triggers or initiates something to provoke everyone else. China is also is responding to some of the developments happening in its own place. And if a country like India decides to hold uh, naval exercises in the Sea of Japan, for no logical reason whatsoever. And China decides to do the same because it has a logistics facility in Djibouti. And interestingly, interestingly, as uh, as we are talking of Djibouti, yes, and France is there, but uh, Japan is there. Everyone but is here's the interesting thing. Here's a point which I think they have tried to send out a signal to China. The document says, Talking about Djibouti, by being able to carry operations from its overseas territories as well as its forward bases in Djibouti and Abu Dhabi, which is the UAE, France will remain a partner committed to security and stability of the areas in which it has interests. French forces in Djibouti and UAE are vital to full implementation of our defense cooperation and to our action for regional security." Unquote. Now, Tala, you know that there is a trilateral drill being uh, underway 
in hosted by uae it has india and france as well it is taking place right now it is a two week exercise indian air force is participating with sukhois over there i think you mentioned this in a previous episode and uh, you see that france and this is a very interesting aspect you see they've sent a message to china this is my personal interpretation and i strongly stand by it france is one of the few european countries which has a, a, a proper deployment and detachment in the uae apart from the us of course uh, you know it's it's too obvious to mention the us in every instance so i'm talking about france now they have a base in djibouti they have facilities in their islands they have regional command controlling the southern indian ocean and they mention that uae and djibouti would serve as our counter force options if there is any threat to us in the region now this is obviously the western indian ocean they do not mention about any other such facilities on the other side of the bay of bengal or the western pacific so here the question which i want to ask is what is up with this indo pacific nomenclature why do, why doesn't france just say strategy for the indian ocean where is the pacific in all of this i mean the only brief mention which they did is they say that um by 2030 the ability of both china and india to deploy carrier battle groups in indian ocean and pacific will particularly set a completely new operational environment but that's just the basic mention a concern about a battle group in the pacific by china but again they are focused only on the western side of the indian ocean because africa and um coming to the next point now this is very important and i think this this doesn't make sense to me so i want you to help me understand what this point has any relevance to the indo pacific quote france faces the strategic challenge of military nuclear multipolarity with a center of gravity located in the indo pacific first question talha what is military nuclear multipolarity and they say the center of gravity is the indo pacific and do you know what they say let me proceed and tell you which countries they have named in particular i quote the significant development of pakistani nuclear arsenal presents a second major challenge after north korea this is what they have said okay there is no mention of india they have not, i mean just to be fair they haven't even mentioned chinese icbms or whatever the only thing they mention as far as first they present this horrifying picture military nuclear multipolarity center of gravity in indo pacific and then the instance they quote is this one instance the pakistani strategic nuclear arsenal is a matter of concern and they say that presents a second major challenge after north korea so basically they're saying the north korea is the primary threat and then pakistan i mean not even china this is just surprising and they don't mention india's development of the agni intercontinental ballistic missiles or other missiles which can reach france also how how uh, what what should i say how hypocritical can you be or how elusive can you be to intentionally ignore the um, strategic arsenal being developed by india it is a convenient uh, it is a convenient talking point uh, uh, i i think the 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 analyst who are sitting in the in, in the west 
But if you were justifying the politics in uh, in Asian in Asia, they 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 are they are I don't know they are very lazy. I think uh, they haven't updated uh, the fact sheets that have been. I, I think this is a very convenient talking point going on since the last fifteen. 20 years okay pakistani nuclear arsenal falling in the hands of terrorists what utter bullshit so very hypocritical very hypocritical and so here are the final two points and these are specifically related to france's uh, impeccable relationship with india as a regional partner so called and the first point is that in order to contribute jointly to indian ocean security France will develop bilateral cooperation with India at both strategic and operational level. So obviously, that means that beyond some sort of agreements, etc., there is going to be operational. Obviously, means there is going to be uh, enhanced exchange of military exercises and maneuvers, which could be used in a contingency situation. And now, uh, the concluding uh, point which I have selected, and which will wrap up my session. I think this is the gist, and this also mentions Iora. I quote. in the indian ocean france will work together with its major partners bracket india and australia and with the eu countries towards strengthening of indian ocean naval symposium that it will chair for two years from 2020 so as we all know ions was and is a project initiated by indian navy for naval diplomacy in the region pakistan used to be a part but after the uh, mumbai attacks etc pakistan was invited once briefly and then it has been excluded from it so france is giving particular attention to that indian navy led project now iora is still a bit neutral because iora was launched in mauritius and there was these other countries involved it's a multilateral platform ions is an indian navy led platform so that sort of importance you are giving to the indian navy as a so called net security provider in the region is very interesting and they say and france why france says that they are trying to legitimize it by saying that france is going to be the chair of ions for two years beginning from 2021 onward so um, that's the reason why you can see uh, a lot of uh, french uh, naval officials have been uh, and air force officials have uh, have been visiting india there have been exchanges going on that collaboration over there talks about france focusing not specifically in iora which would have still presented some sort of a justifiable picture but they're saying germany hasn't mentioned ions the uk hasn't mentioned ions france is saying we want to prop up indian navy led architecture as our support system and it says we will contribute to the strengthening of indian ocean commission and finally they say uh, it will reiterate Uh, by it i'm talking to the uh, joint uh, partnership between france india australia and eu countries to become a member of indian ocean rim association of which it is currently a dialogue partner so yes it is true that france is still just a dialogue partner now france wants to become a member interesting question quick question you know um, i i don't understand that you see germany is talking about iora france is talking about iora and um i don't see any sort of uh, because in iora the rule is if one country any one country vetoes the membership of uh, another then it cannot join so the only reason pakistan has not been able to join is that india is the sole country vetoing its membership france and germany france and germany are very easy they they are going to be members and i don't expect any opposition going on at least 
for now at least and you know ultimately the um, apocalypse would be that israel would one day join the iora and pakistan would be still sitting and saying hmm well i think it's about time that we also come into the iora so you know we don't need to give a hoot to uh, ions we don't need to give a hoot to pacific islands forum or whatever or those other bodies or you know even from a very limited uh, you know short sighted perspective but now we have to understand you see these two major european powers uh, if you exclude them from this conversation so in the big picture we see that the uk comparatively talait has a very mature collaborative uh, pragmatic and i think it's going to be a very uh, working and functional relationship with countries and it makes for a very comfortable reading at, at least for analysts sitting in pakistan what would you say on that now that i have covered up the entire uh, the policy discourse i think the uk has made quite a wonderful attempt to explain its vision very properly i cannot make any substantive uh, contribution to this uh, but i think uh, the the difference between uh, the approach approaches of germ germany france and germany france on one end of the spectrum and uk on the other end of the spectrum is that uh, perhaps uh, uh, as a colonial power uk had had because of the uh, because the understanding of the sensibilities the nuances of the region being being a colonial power in this area of the world uk has a much better understanding of uh, the uh heterogeneous politics i think that is why they have been very responsible in what in their uh, utterance this is my opinion i cannot make anything i cannot contribute anything more i think i am just uh, i think it would be rightful to say that because pakistan has been fortunately or unfortunately part of the commonwealth so that the little leeway which we've been able to get in the uk's vision is because of that yes, uh, commonwealth binding factor commonwealth commonwealth is one important factor not only so, commonwealth exactly so basically this wraps up my segment and uh, as you can see that uh, in my personal understanding and final conclusion i believe that um, what is written and what is done obviously are two wholly different things but as far as the written word is concerned the uk seems to have a very nuanced and uh, balanced take on a collaborative approach and adaptable approach to the region and uh, at least for pakistan it, it should be a breath of relief but we have yet to see how pakistan is able to um, highlight itself prominently and distinctly from india and i think the onus of that will lie on pakistan because as far as the us is concerned we can't expect the us to stop supporting india as a regional watchdog and in the re- in the recent islamabad dialogue ambassador retired cameron munter he made it clear that the us practically doesn't give a hoot about pakistan in its general discourse anymore he made it very clear so i think uh, the uk is uh, has traditionally enjoyed exceptional military relations with pakistan we have an opportunity here to try to take a proactive approach and build on that relation though that shared historical military strategic relation and uh, try to uh, secure sizable space for us distinct from india because obviously india has its own charm offensive when it comes to the west uh, but uh, if we fail to do that then obviously expecting anything 
uh, interesting or receptive from France and Germany would I think be beyond Pakistan's experience because these two countries we haven't really been able to uh, take advantage of them properly for our own interests is concerned. Oh, okay, so the last uh, segment of the session, uh, we'll briefly touch upon it because I'm sure the viewers uh, have an idea about, uh, um, have a good, have a fairly good idea about what has transpired. Uh, the meeting, uh, the high level meeting that has happened between uh, Blinken, Sullivan, Wang Yi, and uh, uh, Yang Jiechi. So um, I, I was I, I, I was interested in how it has been framed. Uh, the meeting has been the meeting was this high level meeting was framed. So uh, before uh, this uh, me, these these talks happened ahead of the talks uh, uh, you have chauli jian who uh, who served in pakistan as well now our old friend yes. <laughs> so he said that the chinese diplomats were invited quote unquote were invited by the us for a high level strategic dialogue which seeks to bring the china us relationship back to the right track of sound and steady development And uh, in, and I would continue from here. Uh, when the meeting concluded, uh, State Councillor uh, Yang Jishi, the meeting concluded yesterday. So he talked about how the strategic, the strategic exchange, I am focusing on the word strategic exchange, was frank, constructive and helpful. But if you see how China is framing the dialogue and how Washington is framing the dialogue on the other end, it's very different. Uh, in front of the House Foreign Affairs Committee uh, meeting that happened last week, Blinken rejected the notion uh, that this is a strategic dialogue. He said this is not a strategic dialogue. And there is no intent at this point for a series of follow-on engagement. Um, so it's very interesting. You see China continuing to push for uh, what it considers a new type of great power relationship. And uh, the idea of strategic dialogue uh, fits the notion that the US and China are leading powers that should make important decisions together about the world, but the US isn't buying it. So this is one interesting thing that you uh, see, the, the, the divergence between uh, both. Um, and uh, certain, some, uh, one more observation that I would like to add. Uh, there was, it's, it's quite uh, uh, surprising too, that there was no joint statement after he did, after he very did, astute observation uh, it does it doesn't mean that the us and china have no areas of mutual convergence there are certain areas of mutual convergence you have the issue of north korea in the nuclear uh, nuclear uh, arsenal of north korea that is one issue you have the issue of climate change there are these are areas of convergence where you could have with both both the parties could have talked on but uh, 
no conversation was made no uh, uh, if if some conversation would have been made uh, that there would definitely have been uh, some sort of uh, uh, some sort of uh, statement joint statement issued at the end but no joint statement was issued between both the parties that was uh, that was not right i think that, and i uh, and i wrote this on twitter as well that the conversation that happened between both the parties the video that came out of this initial exchange between uh, these four uh, uh, high officials it was quite unsettling for us who are especially living in this part of the world it was quite unsettling and they very specifically mentioned i think the most prominent uh, accusation was that they accused the us the hosts of uh, foregoing diplomatic niceties and protocols that was a huge allegation absolutely you see uh, uh, i want to keep it short but when the us uh, uh, when the these the the this delegation from china was invited to come and sit down at the same time you see on the on the eve of the talks you see that us uh, 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 issued a flurry of actions directed to china they begin revoking chinese telecom licenses they subpoenaed to multiple chinese information technology companies over national security concerns and they even updated sanctions on china uh, uh, on uh, hong kong issue so Indeed. Uh, this was uh, that was why yang questioned uh, yang questioned uh, united states uh, over uh, uh, th- over these sanctions and he said the well i think we thought the quote and quote well i think we t- thought too well of the united states we thought that the us fa- side would follow the necessary diplomatic protocols so it was a great event for uh, the chinese delegation what happened and the chinese also followed through you see uh, how uh, china has indicated that uh, it will begin trial just recently just uh, uh, on when this uh, uh, as a reaction to this that they would uh, begin trial on two canadians that uh, they were detained on spying charges and this is this trip for tat is going on Um, I I saw a lot of uh, banners by Chinese diplomats. They used the same imagery being shared by MFA. I think it was issued to them from Back Channel. It was this poster which had the picture of uh, the four leaders sitting uh, two on each side, and it said, uh, "Stop uh, interfering in internal affairs of China and stop trying to." The US does not have the moral right or the prestige to try to tell us what to do. Um, I mean, uh, okay. I think. I, the problem i think is that um, you know you have been following uh, wang yi's travels to the world uh, a lot and uh, you particularly have uh, been focusing on blinken for a while you see if these four leaders they are very very mature people and they are very astute people in their own regard if they got caught in this imbroglio i think that there was some sort of a miscommunication or misguidance between the mid level diplomats on both ends of their countries they are to blame for this uh, lapse which resulted in that fiasco which took place i don't know there is one thing there is one more important thing uh this uh, you see the excerpt that the transcript that was issued see the video of jake sullivan so he is uh, somehow he has been trying to 
accused when Yang conclu Yang concluded, or perhaps it was Wang, but he tried to make it sound like the uh, the Chinese delegation was indulging in theatrics. Yes, indeed, just, indeed, you're right. Just, just to uh, arouse the domestic sentiments back home. But uh, even though this word was used, uh, long lectures, long widening statements, quote unquote, long widening statements, lecture, this, these wordings were directed at the Chinese side. But if you read what has been written in the New York Times, uh, there is uh, uh, an official that was a part of this, uh, a U.S. official who was a part of this uh, entourage. Was a part of this entourage. Um, he he has explicitly commented that uh, uh, we do not perceive China's sharp tone as rhetorical or grandstanding for domestic audience. So they are also mm. they. So get this impression, even though uh, Jake Sullivan's statement would would be something would would suggest otherwise. Uh, perhaps in in the moment he thought that they this was theatrics, but uh, when they uh, went back to the drawing board, uh, they they realized that this was a serious thing that was happening. That was this was no grandstanding or this was no these was this wasn't a rhetorical statement from the Chinese. These were not the rhetorical statements from the Chinese delegation. So I don't know. I hope uh, perhaps uh, it was because it is a new administration and they have taken time to you know be briefed about what has been going on during the Trump era. Because Wang Yi and Yang Jiechi obviously they have been here for many years now. So obviously they are experienced diplomats and maybe. Sullivan and Blinken, especially, it had been a long time. It was lastly in the Obama era when he was uh, familiar with background working. So maybe he wasn't really sure about the posturing which China was trying to make. And they conceived their statements as some sort of so quote unquote theatrics. But indeed, it was very uh, unusual. And you see, you don't see, I mean, uh, keeping everyone aside, I think Wang Yi, of all people, I think he is one of the finest diplomats I've seen conduct himself across the globe and to see a person like that getting into a heated debate that really shows you that something really bad was going on. Even even Yang is very well respected. Uh, if you go through his past diplomatic record, he's the most senior, most diplomat. And if you go through uh, his past statements, he has he has uh, perhaps he, he has also accompanied uh, George, George Bush on uh, some high profile delegations to uh, China, he has been a part of those uh, uh, th those delegations. So these are very senior diplomats. How they are reacting, it's uh, quite unusual. And uh, again, I don't want to extend it, but uh, even there, there was this uh, professor, uh, I don't know, perhaps Henry Gao or some, some other Chinese uh, academician who said that even uh, you talked about some mess up that, was, uh, that happened. Uh, he said that when when Yang talked about how we don't uh, you U.S. cannot consider that it is engaging us from a position of strength. Exactly, very important point. Very important point. So he, he said that uh, he 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 said perhaps uh, it was uh, communicated to him that somehow it got uh, mixed up. 
it was like position of strength is not a uh, it's it position of uh, if someone says that it is position of power so then it it uh, this this rebuke from this strong retort from the chinese side would have been justified but when you say that you are in, in, engaging with someone from a position of strength there is this interplay of word this some some screw up happened at the very top level so, so just a quick question just a quick question on this uh, it might sound unrelated very quickly do you think that maybe after observing all this that president vladimir putin now already we know he had a talk with biden and he called him a killer he literally called him a killer he called putin a killer so you, you see china and russia are the major powers in this region on our side basically so how do you think that that terrible optics with russia and now china how do you think that will impact the the perception in the region very quick take on that very quick take on that okay um i'm trying to recall you said you uh, you talked about how biden uh, called uh, putin a killer and putin said it takes one to no one exactly and now this whole uh, fiasco well it was not biden but his represent top representatives with the chinese so you have two uh, uh, strategic adversaries of the us and yeah, you have uh, i'm trying sorry for interjecting i'm trying to recall one more thing biden has uh, used so in uh, it's quite unlike biden you could have expected this from trump but in a similar manner he has uh, uh, he has talked about uh, kim jong un as well uh, like he called putin a killer he 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 labeled some uh, he indulged in some labeling uh, uh against kim jong un as well i'm 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 forgetting the label he has barely been 3 months in office this administration in washington and you see that they've really uh, effed up their optics as far as engaging two strategic adversaries is concerned that really sends very wrong signals that actually erodes the sort of confidence which people had that uh, biden would depart from the trump era a confrontation with china and uh, you know obviously he had some his own dealings with russia but this was this uh, alaska the fiasco in anchorage exactly 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 uh, so uh, yes, are you he, looking something up when he was vice president under barack obama he in fact uh, yes absolutely he called kim a thug uh, uh, when he was <laughs> okay he called Putin a killer he called him a thug so the 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 uh, the adversaries that you are dealing with the other countries that you are dealing with uh, you solidify certain perceptions in uh, uh, on their end and uh, then they follow through so this is not not a constructive way of uh, doing politics indeed and with that um, thank you tala for your time and it's uh, we'd like to wrap up uh, this uh, uh, long but very engaging and uh, captivating episode of the scheme of things uh, i think uh, it would be safe to summarize that uh, our attention was uh, limited to the so called indo pacific in this entire episode 
Until next time from Talha and myself, Assalamu Alaikum. Goodbye.